Our podcast is about a story about a town, a small town, and the people who live in the town. From a distance, it presents itself like so many other fandom podcasts all over the internet. Nerdy, white, male. Get closer though, and you start to see the silliness underneath. Hello, and welcome to River Do's and River Don'ts, a show about a show about a town. I'm Quinn Wilson. And I'm so tired. (laughs) Today, we'll be discussing Chapter 4, The Last Picture Show, directed by Mark Piznarski and written by Michael Grassi. For those of you who might be joining us for the first time, in this show, we give you a quick rundown of the plot. We give you our favorite thing about that episode, our river do our least favorite thing about the episode, our river don't, and the thing in that episode which most completely perplexed us. Which is that little je ne sais quoi about Riverdale that keeps us coming back. That little bit of special sauce. There's actually a lot of special sauce in this episode. Um, Yeah, they really did go all out in the sauce factory. A hand might have slipped... But there's sauce all up in this bad boy. It's This is a very strange episode of television. To sum it up as quickly as possible, the episode is named, perhaps, for the B-plot, where Jughead decides that he needs to stop them from shutting down the drive-in theater at Riverdale, where he works. And the A-plot is all about Betty discovering stuff, about Miss Grundy and her mother finding that out and that whole Grundy plotline coming to a big nasty head. And more or less getting put on a big nasty bus out of town. It's pretty clear that this was a season-long plot that they thought better of in this episode. Yeah. And did emergency plot surgery. I can't fault no. them for that. <laughs> it was the worst. It, it was, honestly, this plot was harshing my mellow pretty bad. So I'm glad that they resolved it, but the way that they did it was a hell of a mess. It involved Betty and Veronica breaking in to Grundy's car. They find a gun and an ID with another name on it. To call this episode graceless is, I think, charitable. (laughs) It, It is a little bit fumbling. For some reason, Betty takes the gun from the car. She writes about this encounter in her diary, And in a house where we know for a fact there's an incredibly overbearing mother who has a tendency to snoop around, this doesn't seem to me something that is news to Betty, particularly. You almost have to admire the brazen way in which characters are broken in this episode because they're like, okay, what's our job here? We have to, in in the most efficient for time, business-like way as possible, get rid of this huge season-long plot. In 45 right. minutes. So so everyone along the way must behave in the way that creates the most moment-to-moment drama to distract from how soulless and mechanical the proceedings of this episode are. Oh yeah, I mean, it is a lot of glitter on a very bare-bones poster. I have trouble believing that Betty would come home and then immediately throw a gun into her dresser. I mean, and then we'll not get assume to that. that her mother would find out about that. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll, 
Yeah, we will get there. We will very much get there. So we also, in this episode, develop this new subplot for the town of the Southside Serpents. A quintessential wrong side of the tracks gang. Literally. Who's like super 1950s sharks and jetsness can only be forgiven because this is fucking Riverdale and everything is temporally ambiguous in that way. They just barely managed to skate by without the accents. I was half expecting everyone from that side of town to talk like this. There was surprisingly little finger snapping and synchronized dancing as well. Yeah. There was definitely some up-against-the-fence boy kissing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was very happy about that. I cheered. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. That steamy, steamy kiss between Kevin and Joaquin during the drive-in theater subplot in this episode fantastic because there's two south side serpents we really get a sense for and that's joaquin this kid who kisses kevin and and dun dun this vague threatening figure who seems to keep cornering hermione lodge behind dumpsters (laughs) like one does i guess yeah you know who hasn't (laughs) just sometimes it's a slow day he's got to pick things up Hey, a dumpster is a great spot to have a chat about money. It's a great spot to conduct private business. And it is a great spot to sort of cultivate a shadowy, mysterious persona about yourself. So people will assume the worst when they see you. Yeah. Of course, we stick with our last couple of minutes season plot development pattern in this episode. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Sheriff Keller's house gets broken into um and all the evidence his yeah his crazy conspiracy wall is tore up from the literal floor up to the you know top part of the uh wall and where it is like meeting the ceiling stop me if this is one of your points but buddy you're a professional police officer you're like the cream of the crop top of the dog pile you can keep your murder board at work it's probably safer there you also own a phone and are capable of pressing the button that takes pictures of the things that you're looking at. Oh, yeah. I've seen people so, do it in the world of Riverdale. I know that it's possible. Rookie mistake taking the murder board home. But yeah. And, Nick, I, I, and I guess being afraid that up. your camera will steal the murder board's soul if you take its picture. I guess, yeah. Um, or something. But some sort of murder board werewolf comes and rips everything apart while presumably <laughs> maintaining the evidence and a ways into the Indeed. night. So I think that's pretty much our episode. So let's let's get into those maple syrupy river do's and river don'ts. Oh yes. So to start with my river do this week, it's simple. It's really simple. And that is that Grundy's out. Hey, She's gone. It's a good river do. <laughs> Way I'm to just, go, show. I'm happy to have her gone. It was messy. It was clumsy getting it there. She was willing to pack up all of her stuff and be gone by the morning. She fitted it into like her VW bug, and it seemed like she was living in a house with a lot of things. Ah, don't worry about it. Then again, it does also seem like they established that she does have something of a uh, shiftless, town-to-town grifter sort of element to her persona, so it's forgivable. Where there are underage dicks, Grundy will be there. Well, and that is... That is how they cap off her story. Yeah, it's it's nightmarish. She, <laughs> it's so, she's it's so wearing heart-shaped sunglasses 
and peeping at young boys. But, like, it definitely seems to embrace, like, a not our town, not our problem thing, which is, of right. course, very she can problematic. Go abuse the Archie's Andrew of other towns. Yeah. H- however, as awkward and not really quite thought all the way through and everything else that it is, we do get nine episodes, presumably, without her <laughs> in this season I'm... because of the brave sacrifice of episode four throwing itself on that grenade. I mean, it really had to take a hit, you know? Sometimes you've just got to fall on your own sword. Looking at the ratings, quite frankly, you can see that episode four didn't hit well. There was a significant drop in viewership between episode four and episode five. People were like, yeesh, but it was worth it because she's gone. And that just makes yes. me very, very happy. Yeah, I, that's a, that is a fair river dew. My favorite part of this episode, my river dew is that Betty has caught up to Veronica in this episode. Veronica has been this force of nature throughout the show so far. Uh, Like, oh, you better not cross Veronica. She'll mess you up. Like, she will say Aaron Sorkin stuff at you and drag you and be really self-aware. And, like, the narrative framing of the show will make her look cool compared to you. (laughs) But, But now, thanks to this episode, don't mess with Betty. She will break into your car. She will ruin your life. She has no regrets and no fear. I mean, we also established last episode that she's not afraid to put on a black wig, a bathing suit, and high heels, and then step on your head into hot jacuzzi water. It's true, but that didn't accomplish anything other than make me feel very uncomfortable. That is true. She managed to point that energy towards getting Grundy out of here. Yeah, she did real Nancy Drew shit. In a completely fearless and unhinged way. And I actually liked that turn for her character. I was glad to see her do something other than just be sad about Archie. Agreed. That actually is my river do, is just giving her something bombastic and plot affecting and with agency, not just about her sister, to do. Agreed. That was very, very nice to to see her sort of take her own i mean it was still ostensibly about archie which isn't the best but she took stuff into her own hands and she was also framed in a way as like the one fucking person who could really like get her head around how bad this was yeah she seems to be the only person who understands that maybe statutory rape isn't a good thing there's an argument that she's still just getting her character broken every which way for the sake of the plot but at least this time it made her like badass which I appreciated a lot. Yeah. I mean, she was doing the dragging of Veronica for once. So props to her. So (laughs) my river don't, I mean, there's just no, no way around this in this episode. This episode has a lot of characters reacting to the revelation that Grundy is a child predator, is, is a, is a sex offender. Right. Yep. And, No credible human being actually states that it is unequivocally wrong for hot female teachers to have sex with 15-year-old students. Like, some people come close, but there's never that definitive, like, the show actually seems uncomfortable putting its foot down for some reason. And that, that is made very me strange. Incredibly uncomfortable. They did something very ambitious that I almost liked, which was having Betty's mom, Alice, the horrible monster woman, be the one who's like the angriest and the most livid about what's going on. 
of course, then she like takes it too far and becomes vindictive and shitty uh, towards yeah. Archie as well. That's um, actually... I, I, I almost liked the idea of like, oh, so we're giving the most objectionable authority figure aside from the one that we're getting rid of for being a literal monster the correct moral stance and that's interesting and complicated right because we hate this person but she's right but then she goes and fucks it yeah and i was waiting of course for fred andrews the one at this point of two reasonable adults in the town of riverdale along with hermione lodge at this point again i stress (laughs) um two days yes I was waiting for him to come in and be like, okay, you guys are all crazy and you're all self-obsessed and none of you are paying attention to the fact that my son was victimized and this is not his fault and this woman needs to be brought to justice for the crime she did to my son. And that didn't happen. The scene just sort of ended before that happened. It was weird. Got all non-confrontational all of a sudden. He's like, hey, 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 Alice, lay off my son. I guess it's fine, Grundy, if you just leave town and molest boys elsewhere. Right. So I was also somewhat on board with Mrs. Cooper getting all fired up. I was invested in her character at that moment. The idea in a way that of I her doing been. something good. <laughs> right. Exactly. It had me on board. And then she became my river don't of the episode where she managed to turn that. She made the situation about herself and her mistrust and hatred of Archie because of course she did and then as an attempt to repair things with her daughter who was hurt by this lets a sex offender go yeah you know it's crazy it's crazy bad yeah so we're basically on the same page here we we had more or less the same river don't but mine was specifically that turnaround well yours was was one character and mine was like kind of the way that the issue was presented by the show, like by the narrative, like the the fact that the show itself did not end up taking a strong and laudable stance on this really, really dark and imp- important issue, as as I've said before. Yeah, pro you tip, can use you're... You can use dark subject matter like this, but you have to be respectful of the fact that these, these factors in life have real victims, and yeah. you need to like treat that kind of subject matter very seriously and this episode didn't really get there on that correct pro tip if you're ever heading a creative project or something avoid statutory rape apologia just stay out of or it. if you're not if you're just a person also avoid that oh yeah i mean also <laughs> but but particularly if, if you, you intend on spreading your ideas to other yeah. people yes i agree Uh, So, with that mess out of the way, that brings us to our most quizzical thing that happened. Indeed. I do want to take a moment here to give a shout out to something that I forgot to mention earlier. This is a positive in the episode, but shout out to the return cameo of Veronica Lodge's Witch Cloak. Thanks for coming back. You really worked at this episode. Glad to know you're tiding us over until Sabrina, right? Oh, yeah. Also, shout out, positive shout out to Kevin's dad, Mr. Sheriff. Oh, yes. Encouraging safety in his boy. He wasn't telling him not to explore his sexuality. He's clearly aware that there's certain behaviors that he's engaging in that might 
potentially be risky, but he's actually being relatively informed and encouraging what we call in public health fields a harm reduction strategy. Yeah, no, he's openly supportive of his gay son being gay and going and finding gay folks to do gay stuff with. But he doesn't want him cruising at like skeezy places and getting he... himself hurt. Exactly. Or, or sick. He's like, isn't there a nice gay boy that you could date, basically? And like, right. I love that. He's still being the concerned dad, but he's not concerned about his son being gay. He's fine with that. He just wants him to be safe. Yeah, he just doesn't want him getting stabbed in the forest. And, you know, you got to say, like, having the authority figure, like the classically conservative authority figure of like the small town sheriff being the one who's like, it's obviously by my actions 100% fine with me that my son's gay mm -hmm. was refreshing and great. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, so now here's my shout out for my runner up for the most quizzical thing in the episode. Okay. And that is the fact that not only was Jughead working at the drive-in theater, <laughs> but also he was living there. Apparently, Jughead is homeless and just needed to find some new place to go set up because his home was destroyed. I don't know how to feel about that. I feel like it came out of left field in a way that didn't really have like enough grounding to make it resonate. It, it was bizarre. It was very bizarre as a choice. Yeah, it was real a real weird reveal at the end, though I liked the reveal of Jughead's dad being a no-good, bad-news guy. Yeah, I appreciated that. Because, like, Which... Jughead was feeling left out of the incredible soap opera melodrama of the Riverdale parents, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's nice to have that, but I also feel like his homeless status is just really used to double down on his, like, sort of precocious outsider persona. Oh, yeah, no, he's just... It's, it's more archetype flair for it him. It definitely is. But my real quizzical point for this episode was the elaborate scheme that was employed by the Lodges to drive down property value at the drive-in theater so that they could buy it at a premium price, which appeared <laughs> to be hire a gang to sit around and watch movies. Like, yes. <laughs> we didn't see them do a crime. We saw them sitting outside of their cars at the drive-in theater, they God forbid. They wore leather jackets menacingly. And I think they brought their own snacks. Oh, monsters. Yeah. They do uh, not sell jujubes at the drive-in. Fuck off. Well, I'm like, okay, Hermione, I get that you need to do, like, real estate shenanigans because that's, like, your thing. And there's this whole real estate scheming subplot going for the adults of Riverdale like a fucking soap opera and I love the schlockiness of that it's some Dallas level fucking yeah, oh yeah shit however what she failed to realize is that someone had already built a drive-in movie theater on that land which is already accomplishing her plan for her right like you don't really need to do extra things to make that property value go down no you really don't. Like, that honestly, was... the commerce that the gang brings in, assuming it has anything to do with drugs, probably gentrifies the movie theater. I, now, that's a show I would love to watch, where they're trying to drive property values down, but sort of like when they introduce an animal into a country to 
reduce some sort of pest population <laughs> and it has an bikers. unintended consequence and they have to keep bringing in more things to try to solve the problem oh my god but the opposite of that with the riverdale economy right yes on board maybe maybe that's what we'll get i mean we're into some weird shit with like the background stuff going on the local politics and the adults already maybe we'll get there <laughs> there's still hope that is um, true so i'll go ahead and give my runner-up and actual quizzical inexplicable perplexing thing because they're very related in my notes for this episode in all caps can be found betty why did you touch the gun with like a million question marks and exclamation points oh yeah completely what the fuck she just like demonstrated this burst of hyper competence and it's clear that she's gonna just fucking take care of this season-long plot arc right here by herself this shall go no further and then she like handles this gun great what a bad idea i was like oh man that's like a level of plot convenience that she didn't wipe it off afterwards or something like come on like they're gonna find her fingerprints on this is so fucking dumb that was bad. three lines later in my notes is the actual perplexing moment for this episode she stole the gun <laughs> right um chances are the gun box is gonna stay in the car so maybe you could report to the police or something. Or don't do anything with it because it may well be legal. Like, right. Like, she just she just committed a much more provable crime for absolutely no reason other than to add the pre-commercial break. Alice lifting the gun out of the drawer and looking at it all shocked. Right. That was that was why Betty stole that gun. It had absolutely no bearing on her plan to get rid of Grundy. It had no bearing on her personal conflicts. It was just, I'm going to do this thing that is in no way advantageous to me and is a huge risk. And I am going to just completely forget who my mother is and how she acts so that we can have some momentary drama, which again, is that glitter that's thrown to try to smokescreen the fact that they're just like moving everything they can around the board to basically rebuild the setting. Yeah. In this episode. It and was like, bananas. It, it's like lipstick on a pig, but the lipstick is very shiny and glow in the dark. And the pig is like a hundred year old pig skeleton. And puts guns in dressers. Yes. I mean, just, I mean, first off the gun, terrible. Why would you do that? And then you're going to write all these details about it in your journal that for some reason isn't in a two-step cipher hidden somewhere way up in the air conditioning vents on a piece of string that you need to throw another piece of string with a fucking magnet on the end to okay, like, grab Rob, the paper this clip. Isn't death Note. Okay, I'm just saying if Alice Cooper was my mom, that's how my porn would be hidden. Much less my fucking I stole a potential murder weapon. More steps should have been taken absolutely <laughs> steps at all or even just the absence of taking incriminating things as well. into your room she, she might have as well just put it on the dining table and been safer yeah agreed yeah, that was my perplexing part holy shit and it didn't matter it, well again it was just for the commercial break yeah nobody cared shit, no indeed. one gave a shit that she stole a gun and broke into a car and i think on it's that like note, it was all a dream. It was. It was. And I think on that note, that ends the show for us this week. Oh, just can't wait till next week. Next week's going to be a doozy. Stay tuned, listeners. Oh.